We started this podcast as a simple commitment between Casper and me. Once a week, we would sit in a room and treat Harry Potter as sacred, even if no one showed up. Now, we have 70,000 listeners we never could have imagined. We also now have Maggie, who makes sure that all of our local groups feel supported. We have Megan, who makes sure that we behave with integrity in the world. We have Chelsea, who produces the women of Harry Potter. And we have Ariana, who makes sure that every episode, every live show, everything we put out into the world is done to the highest possible standard. We make sure that we pay all of them a living wage. We are trying to be the change we want to see in the world. We are trying to only use fair trade merchandise products to give health care to all of our employees and pay time off. We are trying to save in order to plant a tree for every flight that we take. And we cannot be the company that every company should be without your support. With 70,000 listeners and 1,300 supporters on Patreon, that means that 2% of you support us on Patreon, and we are so grateful for your support. But we want to make it 3% of our listeners who support us on Patreon, which would mean 2,100 supporters. For $1 a month, you get an extra few minutes of bloopers. That's $1 a month for the feeling of being in the top 3% of our listeners. That level of success would even make Hermione happy. So join us. Be part of the top 3%. Join Casper and me in that room that gets more and more filled the more of you show up. We are so grateful that you are part of this community. I'd have sat in that room with Casper alone gladly, but I love having you here. Chapter 10. Halloween. Malfoy couldn't believe his eyes when he saw that Harry and Ron were still at Hogwarts the next day, looking tired but perfectly cheerful. Indeed, by next morning, Harry and Ron thought that meeting the three-headed dog had been an excellent adventure, and they were quite keen to have another one. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. When I was 10 years old, I changed schools. It it was my own choice, um, but it was a big change. I left behind a very community-oriented, nature-y Waldorf school and entered a very posh English prep school where we had pink blazers and shorts and had to call the professors sir and had chapel every morning. And so it was a big shift for me. Also socially, I was leaving behind the friends that I had and entering this strange new world. And I'm someone who's very social, so remembering what I did is kind of a weird thing to look back on. But to try and help myself figure out who were my friends and how I could settle in, I had a little black book where I wrote down the initials of all the people in my class. And at the end of every day, would rate them out of 10 to kind of, at the end of the week, be able to average out those scores and figure out who my best friend was. Clearly a very strong social skill at an early age. But I think looking back, it feels like I really didn't quite understand what friendship was about. And reading this chapter where Ron, Hermione and Harry are so clearly figuring out what friendship is about and what it takes to be real friends, 
you know, that memory stuck out at me where we really have to learn the art of friendship, you know, and, and this was an early, if misplaced effort on my part at 11, 10 years old. Casper, I love that story. I just have one question. Um, I just did the math, and I think that you and I have been friends for about 130 weeks. I'm wondering what my score is. You know, it really depends whoever wins that 30-second challenge this week. I think you could soar maybe to like a six. Do I get more points when I beat you or fewer? Oh, I get fewer when I beat you. Oh, so our friendship is in like the negative because I keep winning. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Worth it. (laughs) Hashtag totally worth it. Um. In all seriousness, I love the way that you're thinking about that. And I think that we all struggle with that all the time. So I'm excited. And I'm excited to beat you in the 30-second recap and um, sacrifice our friendship in the name of competition. Are you ready? It's your turn to go first. Count me in. Here's the thing, Casper. If you love me, for the sake of our friendship, you'll finally do well. Okay. (laughs) On your mark. Get set. Go. So it's breakfast time the next day after the big adventure with Fluffy and um, they feel really excited about the whole thing. And suddenly there's a package and a letter and it's a new Nimbus 2000. And Harry and Ron are not allowed to open at the table, but they're very excited. They end up showing it off to Malfoy and like rubbing in his face that he's allowed to play Quidditch. Then they have charms and Wingardium Leviosa happens. Um, And then um, uh, they're very mean to Hermione, but then it's Halloween feast and there's a troll and they run and they solve it and they save Hermione. That's so bad. I'm speechless. You really don't respect our friendship. I, I, I wish, wish I was better at it, Vanessa. I wish I could <laughs> live up to your standards. You know, we all have our skills and you're pretty, so it's fine. <laughs> well, if I'm pretty, let's see how good you are at the 30 seconds. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Harry gets a mysterious package that turns out it's from McGonagall and it's a broom. Even the first years aren't allowed a broom. So Oliver Wood teaches him all of the work. All of the rules to Quidditch, and Malfoy gets really mad. Also, a troll comes in during the Halloween feast, and it turns out that because Ron and Harry have really hurt Hermione's feelings, she's down in danger crying, and so they go down to save Hermione from the troll. The three of them fight a troll together, and then Hermione lies to authorities in order to get them out of trouble, and they kill the troll and they win. The troll's not actually dead. I feel like you should get minus point for that. You're fine. People can vote. Vote at harrypottersacredtext.com as to who did a better job. Because this is chapter 10 and we've had 10 goes at doing the 30-second recap, next week we will tally up the votes. So make sure you get your votes in at harrypottersacredtext.com. And thanks to Ivy Moon, who wrote in with a suggestion of how we can award a winner. The loser of the 30-second challenge over 10 weeks has to bake a Hagrid-style cake, a chocolate cake with green writing, which is then shared. So Everyone wins because there's always cake, but the burden of the baking does fall on one of us. So thank you, Ivy, for that suggestion. And please get your votes in. And, um, you know, it looks like I'll be baking. But we'll start with the clean sheet next week. So, Casper, this week's theme is friendship. And I'd like to start in the most obvious place, which is what you hinted at in your great story, which is Ron, Hermione, and Harry. And, you know, the last line of the chapter is this great line about friendship, and it's, From that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other. And knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. (laughs) Which also proves that you're right. They didn't kill the troll. They just knocked it out. But Ron, Hermione, and Harry end this chapter as friends. But what's interesting to me about that is 
The reason that Hermione is in the bathroom where she's in danger of the troll is because Ron has said something that has really hurt her feelings. And so she's in the bathroom crying. It's so mean that she is skipping class, like multiple classes. That's how upset she is. And Hermione doesn't skip class. (laughs) We know that Hermione does not skip an opportunity to learn slash show off. So, right. She's so hurt. She's crying in the girl's bathroom. And Ron and Harry realize that she's in danger for the troll. And so they go down and they save her. Then when they get caught by the teachers, Hermione tells this lie. Please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me. I went looking for the troll because I I thought I could deal with it on my own, you know, because I've read all about them. Which is a very Hermione excuse. That's some quick thinking. It is some quick thinking. But what has always irked me about this is that the lie is unnecessary. Hermione can just be honest and be like, I was down in the bathroom. I didn't know that there was a troll, right? I, I was, was being bullied. Totally. It's a or totally... even without selling them out, she could just say, like, I was in the bathroom upset and crying and the boys knew that I was. And so they came down to save me. There is no reason for this lie except to gesture to Harry and Ron Look, I'm willing to lie to authority and I'm willing to fall on a sword so that you guys look extra good just for friendship. I know that you guys think that me being a suck up is the most important thing. But actually, I value our potential friendship more than the way that these teachers look at me. Exactly. And you could argue that this is just a way for her to show them that she's grateful. But I think she's more than that. I think that She's being vulnerable. She's revealing more of herself. And I think if you're just being grateful to someone, you do a gesture of... You send some chocolates the next day. Right. You say, hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. But by revealing these... She's sort of, you know, showing them her cards and is like, look, I'm willing to break the rules, too. And I'm not just what you think I am. And I think that revelation, that vulnerability, that humility is is a gesture of friendship. That's how people bond. I, I completely agree with you. This is about her forming a friendship, you know, and she's not being fake. I think that's very important. I think we're seeing a three-dimensional Hermione here and the boys so far have just been judging her as this 2D, know-it-all, goody-two-shoes. Right. Um, actually, this is all true, Hermione. We're just we're just reaching to the delicious depths of right. her character here. She's revealing more about herself. Casper, where else did you see friendship? I think we really learn about how friendship is formed and the kind of ingredients of friendship in a way. You know, the chapter opens with them remembering the adventure with Fluffy, the three-headed dog, and they're already rewriting the memory. You know, they were absolutely terrified, but now they're rewriting it as a sort of fun adventure and they want to have another one. And and so there's this element of shared memory and shared story that forms a foundation of friendship that you can always kind of remember together. I think that's so funny. Whenever I get together with friends, you know, friends who you don't get to see very often— I wonder when we create new memories, because I feel like so much of our time together is just laughing about memories. Well, and I think that's the crucial piece is that if it just stays there, it's not enough, right? The friendship doesn't deepen. And I think the second ingredient is all about deepening that, which is shared work, like having a shared mission. And it starts off being, let's think about that Gringotts mystery. But then it really becomes about knocking out the troll, right? That's real work, physical, intellectual, moral work. And that, you know, that's how those new memories are formed. So I think there's something about shared work, but not all types of work immediately lead to friendship. I think you see Harry in Oliver Wood 
you can see a colleague kind of relationship, right? There's a friendliness, but it's not a friendship. And I think that might have to do with the, the age barrier, but also the level of seniority. You know, what is the captain? Power. Right. There's something about power. Actually, it's difficult to form friendships across those lines of difference. Um, but then the final kind of ingredient for friendship, I think, is also about having people who are not your friends. And it starts with Hermione being on the outside and teasing Hermione and excluding her. But of course, once Hermione's on the inside, there's enough outsiders in Malfoy and Crabbe and Goyle. But So there's a kind of a dark side of friendship a little bit there as well. But I want to push back on that being a dark side. So I'm a humanist chaplain. I obviously believe that we should all love and respect one another. But I do think that there's something beneficial to disliking other people. Okay, that's a that's a bold claim. Tell me more. Well, I... Do you mean a difference between not liking people or do you mean a difference between having people that you're committed yes. to and who I are... I think that there's a benefit to having an inside group and an outside I group. I understand that. And I think that, you know, if you care about too many people, it becomes shallow. We only have a certain number of hours in the day. And intimacy is a prerequisite for true friendship. And so saying, I'm going to stop here, you know, I'm going to stop with friend 12 in terms of putting the time in for true intimacy I think that that's an important thing. I think that we have limited resources, and I don't think you need to have enemies. I don't think you have to be like, and Crab and Goyle are the worst. You can just be like, I don't like them as much, and instead I prioritize you. I don't think that there's anything wrong about that, right? Am I no, I think being that's hateful? Not at all. I think that's being very fair, and I think you know it's it's being realistic, and actually it helps strengthen the friendships which you do invest in when you're clear that they are your friends. I remember in my undergrad days, I went to a birthday party of a girl who had a ton of friends. And there were like 40 people in this bar. But she was in the toilets crying because there were another 40 people who hadn't shown up. And I felt so disrespected and not worthy, you know, amongst all these great people. And she wasn't there appreciating us. And so I think there is something really important about demonstrating to the people who we do commit to that they are our priority, that they are really our true friends. The other thing is, is that if you don't have a close and I'm going to switch now to sort of war language of if you don't have a close band of brothers, then enough trust isn't going to be built up to go on the real adventures together, right? So a troll is obviously scary, and it's a lot for three 11-year-olds to handle. But these three kids are going to fight bigger and bigger battles. And if there were a 100 of them and there wasn't that total trust of, like, when I fall, you'll catch me that was built up, they wouldn't be able to do the amazing things that they do. Just think of that Margaret Mead quote, you know, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And I think, you know, that's what we see forming right in this chapter. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Quip. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners, I don't want to scare you, but three members of the Not Sorry Productions team have recently lost a tooth. Now, none of this was because of bad brushing. It was because of accidents that happened. But I am concerned about people who love Harry Potter and their teeth. Quip's electric toothbrush can help you in your routine of keeping your teeth healthy and sparkling clean. The mirror mount for your Quip toothbrush puts brushing front and center in your bathroom, so you'll remember to bookend the day using your new brush. 
The built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you clean your whole mouth makes sure that you brush for the entire two minutes. The multi-use cover is amazing, it works as a stand, and also helps with sanitary reasons. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of every three months for just $5. A friendly reminder as to when it's time to refresh and stay committed to your oral health. Please, this is a public service announcement from somebody who has all of her teeth and who loves a lot of people who have recently lost one tooth. Brush your teeth. Quip makes it easy and fun to brush your teeth, and that is why I love Quip and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine after the summer. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Harry Potter right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Harry Potter. My brother and sister-in-law have a fig tree, and it makes me sad because I live 3,000 miles away from the fig tree, and I love figs. I think they are like proof of a higher being. Now I resent them less because due to Fleur's amazing Hanami scent, I get to smell like the fig tree. They make stunning non-toxic perfumes and they list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients. And the sample process is just good old fun. Here at Harry Potter and Sacred Text, we actually got to put together our own floor sample set filled with our favorite scents. So if you're not sure where to start, make sure that you check that out. And definitely try to smell like my brother and sister-in-law's fig tree with the Hanami scent. Then when I meet you, I'll love you more because you'll smell like home. Go to Fleur.com slash Harry Potter today to check out our curated sample set and get 20% off of your first custom Fleur sample set. That's P-H-L-U-R dot com slash Harry Potter to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. Fleur.com slash Harry Potter. So I have another weird, like, Casper sees weird things in the story moment. But I love it. <laughs> I think there's also something that we learn about friendship from our introduction to Quidditch. Namely, that there's three types of balls and three types of friends. So there's the Quaffle friend. And the Quaffle, remember, is kind of, there's three of them. They are the balls that get bounced around from player to player and have to go through the hoops. And you get 10 points for a Quaffle goal, so to speak. And it reminded me of an acquaintance friend, like someone you see now and then, who, like, that 10 points, like, big deal. <laughs> it's nice, but it's friendly. It's cool. It's a friendly ball, but, like, big deal. Then you have the bludger friend, and the bludger is the ball that tries to knock you off your broom, tries to, you know, stop you from scoring. And it's kind of like a frenemy, you know, like a rival friend or, you know, it's like, a, I don't know, like a bludger friend. And then finally you have the golden snitch friend. They're one in a million. They're difficult to find. They're worth 150 points. And I don't know, I just thought... We all, all of us have quaffles, bludgers, and golden snitches in our lives. And, you know, all, all the different players on the teams are providing vital friend roles, right? Harry is seeking that golden snitch friend. The Weasley twins are knocking away those frenemies. Um, maybe it falls down. I actually think it just keeps working because even if you find the snitch, sometimes in order to win, you need those quaffle points. That's so. true. Don't ignore the acquaintance 
friends. Yeah, and, you know, the bludgers in your world sort of push you around and they push you to be better. And I'm completely sold, except that I'm now waiting for you to tell me that I'm a snitch in your life. Do it. Tell me. You're like... Shut up. I feel like you're the golf ball that that I've had to practice on. tell me. (laughs) Cut. Scene. Try again. Also, can we say... Call me a snitch. Oliver Wood. What a babe. (laughs) Okay. No, but like seriously, say I'm your snitch. You're like a silver snitch. Oh my God, I hate you. Before we transition into our sacred practice, I've had a number of people ask us, so do you prepare beforehand? Do you know what's coming? Just to clarify, I'm sitting here waiting for Vanessa to read a passage. I have no idea what's coming. So just like you, we're about to enter a sacred imaginative world of mystery. This week again, we are going to use St. Ignatius's practice that we have renamed Sacred Imagination. And so I would like to invite all of you to close your eyes if you're not driving or walking and really open your senses to imagine yourself into this world. And I'm going to be skipping just one section in the middle for expediency's sake. And what I would like you to do is imagine yourself as Hermione in this um, as I read this section. So wonder at what smells, what feelings, what thoughts, what physical tactile touches you are feeling as I read. It was a horrible sight, 12 feet tall. Its skin was a dull granite gray. Its great lumpy body like a boulder with its small bald head perched on top like a coconut. It had short legs, thick as tree trunks with flat horny feet. The smell coming from it was incredible. It was holding a huge wooden club, which dragged along the floor because its arms were so long. Hermione Granger was shrinking against the wall opposite, looking as if she was about to faint. The troll was advancing on her, knocking the sinks off the walls as it went. So, Casper, what was it like to be Hermione? I actually saw the troll in a way that I don't think I did when I was reading it myself. And I suddenly saw the grayness of its skin. And I I guess in the movie, the troll is wearing something. But, like, why would a troll be wearing something? So I'm seeing, like, this kind of enormous kind of gray, naked, scary thing coming towards me. And the fact that it's smashing each of those sinks, like the noise, there's probably water everywhere now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally terrified. Right. So what do you think? What is it like to be Hermione? Like, what's going through your mind? I guess I, I'm, I'm just trying to hide. Like, I don't see any escape. I don't know if she knows the door is locked, but she's not trying anything, right? She's not trying any magic. She's not trying to hide, really. She's just shrinking against the wall, trying to be as small as she can. Right. But she knows the end is coming. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious if she's praying or mm. if she's made some sort of peace, mm. if she's contemplating mortality of like, this is how I die, and I die this way because I was crying over these boys, and I wonder if it's what impacts the way she decides to handle the lie of like, I better make friends because I am totally alone. I've had those moments where I'm like, oh, this is the end. 
I, I fell off a pier in 2009 and broke both my legs and fractured my back and had a helicopter rescue. It was the whole deal. And I really thought as I was falling, I was like, this is it. Like, we're done. And in a way, I was actually quite calm about it in the moment. Obviously, falling is different than a 12-foot troll coming at you with a wooden club. But I, I do think that she comes face to face with her own death, aged 11. And that change that we see, that willingness to abandon listening to teachers and always doing what's right, uh, you know, the right in the, in the sight of the law and instead choosing what she feels is right in terms of having a friendship of meaning. I think that's got to do with the closeness she comes to being beaten to death by a troll. And I mean, we see signs that she wants to be friends with Ron and her and Harry before, but I mean, maybe the reason that she really picks them is these are two good guys to have on your side when like stuff goes down and that that matters because stuff goes down. And she, in the fight, it's Ron and Harry. Hermione doesn't really get involved in the fight. She is clearly still in so much shock. Right. Um, all she can do is just stay against that wall. So I guess this passage, thanks to your choosing it and reading it for us, really illustrates the the terror, actually, and the lasting scarring experience that this has for Hermione as a sort of foundational, yeah, coming face to face with death. Yeah, I mean, it's a real trauma. And there's real levity brought to it by the fact that what ends it is Harry's wand accidentally going up the troll nose. And and Ron using Wingardium Leviosa, which is just classic. I mean, it's amazing, though, because to some extent... She has saved herself by sharing the knowledge of that spell. Oh, my goodness. I hadn't seen that. That's Um, really cool. So before what we said... I really believed it was that it isn't that Hermione changes in this scene, but now I'm seeing that I think maybe she does change. I think that, you know, in the previous chapter, she really cares about points. And and I think it's possible that having felt so alone up against this wall and having these two boys who she's already felt some kinship with walk in and save her, I think it's very possible that she has been profoundly changed by this traumatic moment and so maybe there is something optimistic in this that we can be changed and even that trauma isn't the way that we want to go about being changed but even that we can be changed for the better by trauma or just experience you know yeah that we that we see things in new ways and people in new ways and that we can all learn and grow I think we see one other thing about Hermione that we'll see develop over the books, which is we know that in moments of real crisis, she's not always the fastest on her feet or the quickest. And the she's brave, but she's not kind of recklessly brave like the two boys are taking on this troll. And so I see, I think, the beginning of the team and the different strengths that they all have. You know, she's the one who plans and prepares and knows the detailed finesse of magic and can share that skill so that others like Ron, who in moments of just total madness do something reckless and very brave, end up being able to use that preparation that then again saves Hermione. So so there's something kind of symbiotic in that friendship that we see being built here. I agree. We need each other. We do. And I'm your snitch, just say it. One of your snitches. So, Vanessa, it's time for us to offer our blessings. Mm -hmm. Who would you like to bless this week? I would like to bless Professor McGonagall for getting Harry, not just a broom, but the best broom, which we find out more about later. But first years are not allowed brooms. And 
I think that, you know, whenever you're in a position of power, whether or not you're doing it intentionally, you're not just doing a gesture. You're also signifying that this type of gesture is okay, that you condone it. And so I think that what McGonagall is showing everybody who's watching is that there's a time for breaking the rules. And I like that. I'm anti-dogma for dogma's sake. And so I understand that first years aren't allowed brooms because it would be chaos and they don't really know how to fly and, like, let them learn first. There are probably really good reasons for it. But I also love that McGonagall is the head of the house, is like, yep, and I got you this broom. And so there's a time for following rules and there's just a time not to. And I think that that is a lesson that maybe Harry learns a little too well, but I do like it as a lesson. So I'd like to bless strict Professor McGonagall for teaching kids that it's okay to break rules. And you, Casper, who would you like to bless this week? I know we've talked a lot about Hermione, but she deserves a blessing. She deserves everything. (laughs) After what she's been through. And particularly, I think that You know, Hermione has come face to face with this terrifying experience and has felt at the lowest that she probably has. This is probably the worst experience of her life. You know, she's alone in still a relatively strange place. She's coming face to face with danger. And yet what she comes out of it with is a clear sense of what matters and a clear commitment to building relationships of trust and meaning um, and being you know, willing to sacrifice the things that used to matter to her so much, like getting points for your house, you know, that status. And I think now and then we all have those moments where we come face to face with what really matters most. And it's difficult to let go of the things that we have been prizing and really refocus on what gives us meaning and ultimately what gives us relationships of love and trust. So for anyone who has to make that choice at the moment, I guess we have something to learn from Hermione. So my blessing is for her. I would like to add one more blessing this week. Although we say her name at the end of every episode, a beautiful and invisible part of this podcast is our producer, Ariana Nettleman. And she is a full one-third partner in this podcast. And the amazing amount of work is just invisible in a house elf magical way to all of you. And I am hyper aware that Ariana can edit out what I am saying But we are a democracy in this little production team, and Casper and I outvoted her. And so Casper and I just wanted to take a second, not just to honor Ariana, but we are going to use her as a symbol of all of the people in the world who make this world better and more beautiful and more brilliant without our even noticing. Thank you to a number of you who wrote in willing to help with social media. We are so grateful. We have two fabulous new coordinators, Emily Colgan and Jen Stark, um, who have already been tweeting up a storm. So a very, very big thanks to Emily and Jen um, for all of your help. And in fact, Jen sent us a little voice message, uh, as you can, to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com with a reflection on a previous episode. So let's hear from Jen. Hi guys. First off, I want to thank you so much for making this podcast. I know I'm getting a lot out of it every week and I think many other people are as well. I really enjoyed episode seven and especially the commentary about Dumbledore's opening words at the feast, nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. 
Whenever I've read through this part in the past, I've always come to sort of the same conclusion that Vanessa had, that Dumbledore is talking about the absurdity of life and that so much of what we experience is really nonsensical in a way. But I also really liked where Casper was going with his thoughts, that each word could possibly relate to the different houses. We know the positive characteristics associated with each house, but I think as with most things in life, there is a weakness that comes along with whatever defines us. I was thinking about each word and how it could relate to what each house fears. So this is what I've come up with. Nitwit, I think, relates to Ravenclaw. They're known for their intelligence and wisdom and their excellence in education, so they would really have a hard time being viewed as anything other than that. Blubber, I read a little bit differently than Casper did, not really as a word for fat, but blubber as in crying openly and uncontrollably. This reminded me of the Gryffindors, who are known for their bravery and daring. They don't tend to openly show their emotions. They sort of have that stiff upper lip going on. And we see Harry consistently trying not to break down or let anyone see him get upset. So I imagine Gryffindors would be most affected by being called out for seeming too emotional. Oddment is a word which sort of means the leftover piece of something from a larger set. And this always makes me think of Hufflepuffs, who I think even still amongst most of the readers sort of tend to be the odd house out. And they're known for their intense loyalty, their sort of all-for-one mentality. So I think that's something really hurtful to them, I imagine, and a slur that they wouldn't really like having hurled at them. Tweak, the word itself means a change or an improvement to a system. And I think this has Slytherin sort of written all over it. Uh, Salazar Slytherin himself, you know, wanted to preserve the blood purity in the wizarding world and intended all of Hogwarts to be that way, but most especially his house. But now we know there's lots of muggle-borns in Hogwarts. And I think this sort of threatens the way of life that they've always known. And the tweaking of blood status and the change of rules towards a more egalitarian wizarding society is something that seems to frighten the establishment of Slytherin. And so it's not something they would want to be reminded of consistently. I think it's possible in his mad, silly sort of way, Dumbledore could be alluding to the flip side of each house and sort of calling them out for what they fear as a reminder that no one is perfect, but also in the same way that there is nothing to fear when you're amongst friends. So obviously there's lots of room for different interpretations, but this is something that really edified me this week and I wanted to share it. So thank you. Thank you, Jen, so much for this beautiful message and also just for all of the work and being a part of this podcast. Our listenership has already grown since you have taken the helm of our Twitter. So thank you. And we're excited for your voice in all of its different forms. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we will be reading Chapter 11, Quidditch, towards the theme of goals. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is produced by me, Casper Terkyle, Ariana Nedelman, and Vanessa Zoltan. Please subscribe on the iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Google Play, and leave us a review. That really helps spread the word. A big thanks to Jen Stark and Emily Colgan, our social media coordinators, to Annie Parsons, Rebecca Falcon, Lacey, Tegan Fleiner Etheridge, Sydney Van Dyke, and Trey Lyon, Ivy Moon for her cake suggestion, our Kickstarter supporter of the week, Stephanie Paulsell. Our music is by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Boll. 
Thanks also to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon and Rufus, the Harvard Communications team, the Humanist Hub, and of course, our Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. I only really liked you for the first time when I realized your British accent was fake. (laughs) I really appreciated that you showed me that. I'm from California. (laughs) See? I'm from the Valley. Hey, that's my accent. Hi, it's Joseph Fink. My friend Jeffrey and I created Welcome to Night Vale back in 2012. Normally, we're the ones turning our ideas into writing. But for our brand new show, Start With This, it's you who will do the creating. On each episode, we'll talk about a topic of the creative process. Then we will give you two short assignments, something to consume and something to create. You can share your work on our membership forum to see what other people are up to. We want you to start creating one simple assignment at a time, because the best way to start writing is to start writing. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.